I was thinking about what a neat, like, kind of art therapy it might be for mm. me to make to dye because I do, I love dyeing, which is something we have, I have in common. With <laughs> I my- just want to, like, really cut these. <laughs> so it's just stuff being like, I mean, it's going to be a good art for me to dye. And I love dyeing. <laughs> Here's our cold this week open. on Cancer for Breakfast. <laughs> Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. Though we try to make Cancer for Breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. (laughs) Amy. Steph. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's cancer for breakfast. What's up? Um, Let's get into it. Let's just, shall we? How are you? am okay um i should ask right off the bat how are you you had a scan today i had a scan um i'm patiently awaiting a phone call from my oncologist to give me the results coming to you live from <laughs> the period of intense anxiety immediately following a scan i might actually take it take it while we're recording cuz we could just cut it out but if it's bad, or maybe leave it in if it's bad. What do I care? What good content? What good content, content. that would be? Um, Tragedy strikes. Cancer <laughs> for breakfast. Amy has a gallstone. I don't know. <laughs> or a huge tumor in her abdomen. I just... It's it probably not related to cancer. I think it's probably maybe related to cancer treatment or maybe related to why I got cancer. I have all these theories that make so much sense, which would take an hour and a half to go over. And I did bring one of them to my oncologist's attention yesterday. And she was, was it the like, one that I no. came up with? Yeah. I like how we had it all figured out over text. <laughs> then you went just straight up. Um, what's the name of the detective that wears the hat or i, I don't know Is that sherlock holmes sherlock holmes <laughs> i was thinking of carmen isn't carmen carmen san diego is she a detective or is she like a cop or something you know she's an international woman of mystery <laughs> let's not put her in a box not right I'm, now i'm not sure that that she fits into this scenario but yes i did indeed put on my armchair expert hat yeah Okay, well, very briefly, I'll just say my symptoms. I've had just like my, when I say stomach, I don't mean the the organ stomach. I mean like the area, like the abdomen, if you will. Your tum-tum. My tum, my, my bell-bell tum-tum. Um, it's just uncomfortable. It has nothing to do with my digestion. Everything is just normal. Any, my diet, anything I eat, there's not a correlation necessarily. Um and sometimes I think it does run a little bit down, like, my esophagus area down into there, which makes me think it could have something to do with, I don't know. But I did notice 
that alcohol is the one thing I've noticed that makes it worse, which I hadn't really Mm -hmm. found that correlation. And then um, after like not drinking for a little while and kind of noticing it was less uncomfortable, then I had a few drinks, nothing crazy, nothing too fun. (laughs) Um, And then the next day it felt sensitive again. And I was like, oh, well, that ruins everything I love about my life. Um, (laughs) So, but the more I looked into it, I thought maybe the gallbladder and the liver and different things were happening. And then Steph Mm -hmm. sends me a link. She says, your thyroid is also fucked up, which, you know, I'm, I'm suddenly, um, Niles's wife on Frasier, you know, member Maris. <laughs> Every, you know, oh, well, you know, and then my, whatever. I am her. I, I never was before. I was healthy. Now I'm this, this is this, this. Um, but anyway, so tell your theory. I think because you have, maybe, maybe you have Hashimoto's I was told I might, but I definitely have hypothyroid. Yeah. So you have hypothyroid and we found these articles that say that hypothyroidism really goes like hand in hand with gallbladder problems. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's really interesting. Like there was this whole confluence of, of symptoms and things happening in your body that were like estrogen dominance. And yes, it was like, Oh, ding, ding, ding. They also said it makes it um, harder for your body to rid itself of like excess hormones and excess estrogen. Right. And so I get a cancer that is like highly estrogen dominant and it comes about late in pregnancy often. Hello. That is me. Yeah. And they have like all these weird symptoms that they say it's hard to diagnose because you wouldn't think it was correlated. Like, you know, like all these things where it's like, ah, but then it also is like your body can't um, get rid of toxins and like heavy metals as easily when your gallbladder is like malfunctioning. Yeah. It's like all, all these things to do with bile and stuff. It's, it was really fascinating to read and it's really totally true. What you said, all of the symptoms were like, kind of sort of things everybody has at some point or another and that totally must make it really hard to diagnose but Mm -hmm. if we have correctly diagnosed your problem I want a fucking honorary doctorate I want to make sure you get that but I also want to tell all of you badass cancer researchers to look into this because The excess estrogen, your body not being able to get rid of it. The latent pregnancy where we're finding all these people are getting cancer that are older moms who have in their first pregnancies and not being able to eliminate toxins. But then um, there already is some thought that thyroid stuff does put you at higher risk for breast cancer, too. Yeah, yeah. It's all connected. But I had a freaking abdomen what are they called? Ultrasound? Ultrasound, uh-huh. Today. But I saw my oncologist yesterday. She doesn't think this is what it is. She's like not buying it. But do you know what this reminds me of? Is me. I was I was thinking about this. Did you watch that show on Netflix um, that's based on the uh, New York Times column, that Modern diagnosis oh, column? 
No. Oh, no. I love that column, though. I didn't know that that was a show. Yeah, they made a show. So Dr. Lisa Sanders, is that, I think that's her name. Um, It's so cool, though. And I feel like, obviously, we don't want to encourage people too much to, like, go down the rabbit hole of self-diagnosis. Yeah. But the way that, that this show is done and kind of the way that she does the column, too, is so interesting because it's like really weird mystery diagnoses for people who have never seen the show or the column. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird mystery diagnoses that they can't really figure out. And so they kind of like crowdsource the information that they need and crowdsource mm-hmm. the diagnosis. And I love it because it just brings together the weirdest range of people who are some of them are doctors some of them are researchers some of them are just like randos Mm -hmm. and some of them are people who've like also been searching for a diagnosis or people who've been diagnosed yeah um and it just it cracks me up because i'm sure doctors all over like fucking hate it (laughs) hate the column hate the show but um the show is cool because you know of course it was like really touching stories Uh sometimes and um Nice to see people get the answers that they're looking for. Yeah. Um, obviously, this is not on the same scale as Dr. Sanders, but I will all. <laughs> I would never <laughs> declare. Um, I, I think it is like 90% probable that this is not what's going on with my body. But I do think it's like kind of fun to talk about because I know that we all do this and all of our listeners do this too. You know, whether oh, totally. it's like tracking you know oh well when I was pregnant this happened and then when my eyes were blurry that was you know like you you do this like backup of before you were diagnosed and what was going on or like you know that one time I had low vitamin d deficiency I was like severely you know like all of this stuff that you do and I think whether we're right or wrong that's kind of how a lot of us pass the time sometimes whether it's healthy (laughs) or not it's true and you know what I like it because I learned so much weird shit about our bodies yeah like I it's all things that like we kind of know about but when I'm just casually like while I'm watching tv or something like searching for bile duct disorders and things like I learned so much about what bile does and like right our body yeah when like obviously before I knew like kind of what bile was but I didn't know the ins and outs of it and now I'm like oh that's really fascinating I want to learn more about bile (laughs) (laughs) gallbladder sludge I didn't know that existed (laughs) maybe I have that or maybe it's just a grapefruit sized tumor (laughs) Um, I want to hear about what you have been learning about you and your type of cancer. Yeah. You have been like learning all of this stuff about being a lobular person. Yeah. So, you know, I guess it took me a while. I'm curious if other people have had this experience because I guess it took me like 18 months or so to Mm -hmm. get my brain around the fact that I have a specific different type of cancer. Right. But I'm, I started really broad, you know, in my understanding and research, because I, I like to learn new things about breast cancer, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I like learning things about all different types of cancers. It's, it's such a treat when people 
ask us to research for rats, like yeah. their type of cancer or whatever. And so I have been really focused on like just general science and stuff with B. And then additionally, I'm like in the breast cancer Facebook groups or whatever. Um, And, you know, I read the occasional book about breast cancer, not so much anymore, but in the beginning I did. But it's all really broad, you know, mm-hmm. and because lobular breast cancer is such a small percentage, it's like 10 to 12 percent, I guess, of breast cancers. Um, ductal being so much more prevalent, yeah. basically it gets all of the airtime. Mm-hmm. So when you hear people say IDC, invasive ductal carcinoma. Yeah. And yours is ILC, invasive lobular, just meaning it grows in the lobes. Right. So it's different parts of the breast, but they do treat it typically pretty much the same mm-hmm. way. Kind of partially, it seems, because research has lagged behind for lobular because there just aren't as many patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, also because a lot of times it does act kind of similarly. But I did this really cool writing workshop through Wildfire magazine, which we talk about and we love. Yeah. Um, but they did this pop-up workshop that was free and it was specifically for lobular breast cancer patients and inflammatory breast cancer patients. So the two least common. Right. And it kind of blew my mind because I realized I had not really focused at all on my particular type of breast cancer, which is so weird to me now in retrospect. Mm -hmm. But it was really empowering because there were rad rad women in this writing workshop who work for lobular breast cancer organizations and stuff and one of them gave me some really cool resources one of which was this webinar that I attended through Dana Farber um they have this really neat program for metastatic uh breast cancer patients called Embrace and um that's something that I just want to encourage everybody to look into like there are Facebook groups and like email lists, listservs, all kinds of things for every type of cancer, you know, like whatever your type of cancer is, I guarantee there is a group out there full of people who have your type, even like down to the specific medications that mm-hmm. you're taking. There are support groups where people like ask questions, answer with their experiences. And that's really neat. So I love that webinars are just available. Like it's, the the greatest minds in this particular area of science mm. talking, you know, just to whomever, like me, my dumbass sitting in my bedroom on my bed, I can watch Dr. Otto Metzger, like one of the world's leading researchers and doctors in lobular breast cancer, just like show slides and talk mm. about his research and talk about what's going on. and. Anyway, I'm just like super pumped on webinars now, yeah. <laughs> which is the stupidest, dorkiest thing to say. But um, it was it was really rad. And I'm glad that I waited until I was like ready to jump into this because some of the info did come as a little bit of a shock. Yeah. Like I didn't realize that the spread pattern could be so different, mm-hmm. which is true. I I met somebody who has metastatic sites in her eye Mm. orbits Mm -hmm. it does lobular breast cancer also um, can spread to your abdominal wall your colon Mm -hmm. it's just it's it's pretty different and I was not looking out for any of that and so 
I'm glad that I know now and I know late enough. So I'm not super tender <laughs> about like freaking out. Well, and in case any of our listeners are super tender and are lobular, can you throw out a couple of really good things about being lobular that they might not know? Since yeah, they're not just so- going to look in the mirror closely at their eyeball right now. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, oh my God, my eye, I've had this like on and off eye twitch oh, that's for cancer. like a month, but um, I'm sure it's because I'm like dehydrated yes. or something. Yes. But um, after I learned that it can spread to your eye orbit, I was like, oh my God, that's what it is. No, um, it's not. It's not. It's, that's not what it is. But um, yeah, the interesting thing about lobular is it often has better survival rates because the way that the cancer grows is so different than ductal carcinoma. So it makes kind of like a chain. And so the tumors end up looking a little bit more like a spider web, Mm. which means they grow slower. You know, it takes them a lot longer to reach that like invasive status, which also sucks because it makes them harder to detect. Right. But it was interesting hearing him, Dr. Metzger, say that Invasive lobular cancers that present as metastatic de novo. So when you're like stage four, right out of the gate, like I am, Mm -hmm. he said, like, you can actually have a really great survival rate because these tumors grow slowly. You have access to a lot of treatment options. And so that was really nice to hear because. I feel like all we're inundated with is like (laughs) sad, 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 sad. Yeah. And for one of the leading researchers to be like, actually, I'm pretty optimistic. It was it was really nice. Um, Also, one of the raddest things that I know probably all of the other patients that were on the webinar noticed was that the graph that they showed for survival went up to 25 years. Wow. Which sounds so sad for, I'm sure for like non-cancer people that are listening, they're like, right. what? but we're used to looking at graphs that only go up to like five years. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. It was wild. And I, it was just, it was so nice to see such a small thing, but so hopeful. So hopeful. And also like imagine 15, 20 years from now, like how much further things will go from there too you know know. like there could be a cure by then oh totally he was talking about how they're doing these like deep dives into the genomics of each different mutation and how to stop the mutation from happening how to target the mutation after it does happen it's just fascinating it's like too big brain for me to comprehend but (sighs) i love to hear this kind of stuff it's awesome It's available on webinars. It's (laughs) available. Yeah. And when we were talking about wanting to talk about this on the podcast, you were like, you know, I don't want to go into too much detail because it's so specific to like my type. But I do think that even sharing the amount that you just shared to encourage anyone with any type of cancer to seek out, you know, more info, more people that have it because it is just incredible i feel that way about um the fact that my cancer presented in pregnancy because that kind of puts you into like a little bit of a different class that they're studying more and more about what that might mean um and like some of it is not cool but also once you get 
through the like fucking what you know and get yeah. into <laughs> it it I do think it's better to have that information because then you can decide in your treatment options like whether or not to go more aggressive with certain things or whether or not to add on that thing that is kind of like might help might not you know like yeah it helps your gambling odds to know what you're gambling with totally sense? yeah um yeah I wanted to say uh-huh. one of my big takeaways from the webinar that I think applies to everybody in the cancer community was that because he is like so super legit he said he gets a lot of requests for um, consultations like as a second opinion uh-huh and he was like you know of course we're always glad to be somebody's second opinion third opinion whatever and it's exciting that you know patients are increasingly able to like travel around see different kinds of specialists and stuff but something that I felt was really interesting. Well, specifically, it was interesting because I've been kind of going back and forth on what kind of PET scan I want to pursue, mm -hmm. um, which is to like inside baseball. But um, he what he did bring that up, the the PET scan issue. And that's what led into this conversation. But he said there are all of these tools that we use. There's imaging. There's, you know, lab tests. There's all kinds of stuff. But the most important thing, the most important tool for treating individual patients, which is what we want to get down to, that's the nitty gritty. The most important thing is being in the clinical setting and getting to know your patient. Because he was like, it doesn't matter if the PET scan says you have no evidence of disease. If you're in pain and you're having symptoms of cancer, you know, like he was like, we need to treat the patient. And so Mm -hmm. all of these things that we have to use are tools and you can't get down in the dumps when you have a lab result that, you know, shows something you perceive as negative. You can't get too upset about progression on a scan if you're feeling good, you know, if you feel strong, if you feel able to continue with treatment and your oncologist is looking you in the eyes and seeing a person who isn't sick or on the other hand, a person who is sicker than their tests lead you to mm-hmm. believe, then it's it's really important to have a relationship in that clinical setting. And he was like, it's really hard for me to give a second opinion that I'm confident in when I don't know the person at all, because when they present, they could be totally different than they are day to day. And I would never know that. So basically, if my oncologist likes me, I will live longer. Exactly. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) Write that down, folks. (laughs) Speaking of your oncologist. Oh, I was going to (laughs) say. So this cracked me up yesterday. So, you know, this podcast has been going for like over a year now. All right. And I have not told my oncologist that it exists or any of my doctors Steph's doctor knows her doctor her oncologist hi Rach (laughs) listens I loved it that you got a my chart message from Rach the other day that ended with still loving your podcast was just listening in Costco today (laughs) (laughs) like I love her (laughs) um but so yesterday I'm like Getting exam, examined, <laughs> examined. I'm not even going to correct myself. I don't, I'm not going to, I'm standing by it. I was getting examined. 
Oh God, this is her calling me. I'm oh just going to, I'm not putting her on speakerphone. Please but, don't. And we'll probably cut it out. Hello? Hi. I knew it was you. How can that be? But why is my stomach hurt if it's all normal? Hooray! Okay. Bye. Well, you guys. <laughs> Sorry, that was really unprofessional of me. Um, woo! <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, it is that thing where... There's still no answer, though, but I guess I don't have gallbladder, bladder, bile, sludge, duck, liver disease. And I just Can't. got this slab coat embroidered with my name on it. Now <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? Oh, I was just about to Google Carmen San Diego. So I, could... <laughs> I don't know. Um, all right. Well, but my tumor markers are normal, which is good because she never lets me get my tumor markers tested because it's like especially when you're not metastatic they're even more like up and down and yeah don't. it's true it's just something that causes more worry than credibility unless there is enough time and graphs and blah 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 <laughs> any old way no answers no answers, but at least it's not cancers. <laughs> I had to pluralize cancers because the song would have sounded weird if it was just one word. <sighs> um, oh. Okay, but we were just talking about her as she called, which is good luck. Mm -hmm. um, so yesterday in the appointment, as I was saying, I have never told her about the podcast. But I have like wondered, like, I wonder if she'll like catch wind someday. So yesterday, about three-fourths of the way through my appointment, I pop off the table and go back to sit down in the normal chair. You know, we're kind of like whatevering. And she's like, so one of my patients really loves your podcast. Oh! And I was like, oh, really? And she's like, yeah, I guess it's really helping her. And um, she just loves you guys and says you make her feel like her, her good friends. And it's really helped her. And I was like. I didn't know if you knew about my podcast and I kind of wanted to tell you, but I wasn't sure. And she's like, I'm not going to listen. Don't worry. You, I, you can have that space. And she's like, but I think it's really cool that you're doing it. And I was like, you can listen if you want. I was like, I just say that I love you. You know, yeah. I mean, of course I bitch like these people think I, you know, <laughs> that I don't have leg cancer, you know, like I do a lot of that, but I do that to her face. So it's fine. Um, it was kind of funny though. Cause I felt like she was a little bit like, you know, she was like, of course, I couldn't tell my patient if you were my patient because, you know, she yeah, can't. yeah. But I guess the woman asked if I was her oncologist, even though I don't think I've ever used her name, but maybe I let it slip once. But maybe she can. She just knows by by my you, you call her Allie. Yeah. Have I said it on the podcast? I think you have. Well, you've just outed her. I've so. outed her. I'm so sorry. <laughs> a violation. Well, she's wonderful. She's she is wonderful. Um, she's not going to listen. I'm disappointed. Well, I think she's wanting me to know that I like can have that space without thinking, you know, but it was funny because she was like saying that her patient is just this wonderful, very smart woman. And, but the way she said it was like, almost like she was surprised. I kind of like laughed 
because she was like, you know, she's she's so it's a smart, wonderful woman. And, you know, I mean, she just is getting a lot from it, though, <laughs> as if like it was surprising. Like it reminded me kind of of like the Arrested Development where it's like her, her, yeah. like it's George Michael's girlfriend. Yeah. So her you know um so it's your podcast is making this smart woman feel seen sure we're the Anne of podcasts <laughs> but i did say to her i was like well you have to understand when i come in here to see you i'm just like a neurotic freak you know like my list of like the things i have to talk to her about or just like i mean i'm a neurotic freak on the podcast too but like there's much less charm when I'm sitting on floor 11. Let's just say I'm, yeah. I'm just kind of like, do you think that my wrist is, da, 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 da? I think my gallbladder might be giving me a, dee, dee, dee. and she's just like, no, no. Um, so she can't imagine wanting to spend more time with me. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but who, who told on me? Who yeah. told her? And also if we have a listener who shares our oncologist that I don't know about, let's talk. Let's let's make our appointments. Yeah, you can compare day, notes back to because back. we know that she's not listening. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Allie. No, I I do love my oncologist. If I didn't, I would dump her, as we also preach on this podcast. Amen. Fire your your shitty doctors. That's right. They don't deserve you. Exactly. Um. Anyway, so should we talk about anything else before we get into some letters? I do have something. I wonder if it's what I was thinking of. It's not. Okay. <laughs> um, my I was talking to my therapist yesterday about some cancer related stuff. For anybody who's wondering, my therapist is doing well. Um her name dad... is Allie too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is not, but um she's really awesome and um her dad just recently died of lung cancer and so she was off for a while and I was having some stress about that, but, mm -hmm. um, she's back and she, I feel like is really in a different kind of place to connect with me a little bit more, which sucks. You know, we don't want right. more members of the cancer club. No, <laughs> but it's really working out for me. <laughs> well, probably for her too, honestly, in a way that she would never have imagined. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure she'll be able to bring more to her practice this way. Yes. But uh, we were talking about the uh, Yars, the anniversary of my friend's death from cancer and um, how it's been really weird because I really admired her and really kind of relished the connection that we had and the ways that we were similar because people mentioned a lot how similar we were mm -hmm. when she was alive. And um so we were talking about that and I was saying how hard it is. And I don't know if other cancer people will feel this about friends that they have either lost to cancer or not lost. Um, but, you know, like other cancer people in your life that you've maybe looked up to and how hard it is to kind of have to try to distance yourself from their story at some point. Yeah. Because it feels really almost like a weird betrayal that now I'm like, eh, that's not my story. Like get farther and farther away, please. Because obviously you don't want to be constantly comparing yourself to somebody who right. died a pretty gruesome death. Um, but my therapist had this cool analogy that we kind of worked out together. And she was like, can you just think of like yourself? Her, her analogy was Easter eggs. And I was like, I don't do Easter anything. So. <laughs> 
Um, I, it, okay. It turned into. Can it be a menorah? Can we do? Can we do a menorah? Com- you know. Okay. The Easter eggs. Go on. Um. But she was just kind of referring to how you decorate an Easter egg and you can do, you know, like relief on it and dye it differently and put stickers on or whatever. And so anyway, the metaphor turned into like a scarf, how you can dye two scarves using kind of the same materials, but they won't turn out the same. And you can love each one for its differences, but you can also mm-hmm. appreciate, you know, one for a different reason um, and dislike some things about the other. and. I was thinking about what a neat like kind of art therapy it might be for Mm. me to make to dye because I do I love dyeing which is something we have I have in common with. (laughs) I just want to like really cut these (laughs) so it's just stuff being like I mean it's gonna be a good art for me to dye and I love dying. Here's our this week on cancer for breakfast. (laughs) Oh man. Okay Um, sorry. Uh, we have that in common, me and our listener and friend, Lowry. Lowry's been um, making some really beautiful, uh, cool, dyed pieces of clothing. Yeah. I will link her Instagram in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But um, I was thinking about doing that, of dyeing a couple of scarves, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe leaving one Aww. on a in a place that I, I have fond memories of my friend and yes. then keeping keeping the one for myself. Um, stuff that. like that can be so cheesy, but who cares? Lean I, into the cheese. I will in every it's possible way. It's <laughs> sweet and it's meaningful and not enough people slow down and like take time to do things that are meaningful. You know, I do know. So we'll see. Scarves maybe coming soon. Um, can I read a letter? Please do. <laughs> okay. Let's see. We have... A bunch of random ass ones. And I love it. I love it. So Rudy writes to us. Hey, pals. So I really enjoy listening to the podcast. Oh, first of all, the subject is longtime listener, first time writer. Love that. (laughs) Okay. East of the Rockies. Go ahead. Um, So Rudy says, hey, pals. So I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast since like episode two or three came out. So, you know, I'm a legit hardcore OG and not some grief tourist poser muggle or something. (laughs) Not to brag, but I have been listening so long that I've seen two entire sets of nurses come and go at the local infusion center during my tenure listening. I feel like I know you better than... That whoever is poking my veins next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, I have two issues I'd like to discuss. One, on a recent episode, you discussed various ways to dispose of your body upon passing for folks to consider over a traditional burial. It seemed as if you poo-pooed the idea of a crime body farm. I'm not sure if this was just the ick factor or for other reasons. I'm seriously considering this as the option for myself since it's free, very environmentally friendly, and helps advance science. Any cons appreciated before I changed my will because I'm too lazy to actually research myself. I'm playing the cancer card, by the way. Booyah! (laughs) I love that we might have any power to change anyone's will. Yeah, that's right. Listen up, Rudy. Um, We'll get to that in a moment. Number two, he says, as someone who will very likely never reach an quote unquote after cancer phase due to being inoperable and incurable slash technically terminal, I get shell shocked every time I hear the term 
quote unquote, after cancer. I thought it was maybe just my own deal, but after making a comment on Twitter, even NED folks responded with disdain for it. They're still worried about recurrence and ongoing deficits. Is there really such a thing as after cancer? Can we as a community come up with a better term for something that really means after early critical phase treatment? I mean, that still has issues for some of us. I'll be on Avastin for the rest of my life, good or bad. But thinking of it in those terms is far more universal. Many of us will never be NED or whatever. Anyway, keep on rocking and rolling and not talking cancer in a boring way. We cancer folkin' <laughs> deserve <laughs> that at least. It's hard enough dealing with this crap. We shouldn't have to listen to dull podcasts to feel community support. Love and adoration, Rudy F. in Knoxville, Tennessee. And also... He links his amazing vlog, thatcancerlife.com, which is awesome. Yeah. And I highly recommend you follow Rudy. We, we'll link that blog in the show notes. We sure will. Rudy's hilarious, awesome. Uh, I correspond with him on Instagram frequently as is Steph and on Twitter. And mm -hmm. Rudy is the he's best. cool as hell. I feel bad because I feel like I was the one who had the ick factor about the body farm. And I told him because he we talked about this a little bit behind the scenes, you know, and I was like, mm -hmm. I will be very honest with you and let you know that everything I know about body farms, I learned from the world's foremost fictional forensic anthropologist, Dr. Tembrens Brennan <laughs> of Bones. Oh, nice. <laughs> Well, I said to him, I said, honestly, I don't think I even actually know what a body farm is. Like, well, I know what it is now because he told us. And he happens to live, I think, did he say there are like four or five body farms in the U.S. and he lives relatively close yeah. to one? Yeah, that's what he said. And so these are places that help train forensic scientists yeah on how to determine crime scenes causes of death like blood splatter i mean they do weird shit to dead bodies to see what bodies do when weird shit is done to them correct yeah, yeah. and how they decompose and stuff it's yeah it's how they decompose so how long a body might be left in a certain environment so like I don't know. I really want your take on if you do have an ick factor with it once you actually look into what it actually is or... You know, I don't. I think that there is, just in the same way that you have to get over any of the weirdness about like your body decomposing and stuff, yeah. when it could potentially be decomposing like violently in view of other people, that feels really vulnerable to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Ultimately, I don't think I wouldn't, you know, I'm not going to know about it. Right. Like, I don't feel that there's any like body soul connection thing. I don't feel like my spirit is going to be somehow displaced or upset. Yeah. And I do see the value. Like, obviously, everything we know about forensics has come from research like this and so it's clearly very important mm -hmm. and I was like it's so silly because I like true crime stuff you know I love true crime podcasts and I clearly see the value of it yeah and it's weird for like a murderino to be 
icked out by a body firm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's weird when it's you, when you have to think of it as your body and what's Mm going to happen to it. You have to just kind of let it go. And, um, I think that's hard to do. It's hard to do in practice. I like, I think when you're actually looking at like a terminal diagnosis, like Rudy is and I am kind of, you know, it's hard when you know you're like literally making the decision that's yeah. going to happen, not necessarily like soon, but right. It's a practical decision. And it sounds like Rudy is not icked out by it or weirded out by it, which makes me completely pro. Totally. Like, I absolutely don't you change that will. Rudy. <laughs> don't do it, Rudy. And I feel like I have no issues with, you know, you want to take my eyeballs out? to use for science for in a laboratory or do you want to take my good organs in my abdomen that were just ultrasounded earlier today yeah don't take the gallbladder (laughs) we're not convinced um but i mean i don't even know if we're allowed to donate anything since i'm not after cancer probably not right i think people with metastatic breast cancer can only donate potentially um corneas but i don't even know if that's the case for me because of the weird lobular spread pattern Mm. Well, I mean, whatever you want. You want to try my my scalp? You want my scalp to sew onto somebody's scalp? I don't. Yeah. I don't care. Um, grow my arm on a rat. Whatever. <laughs> like but that like to for can you specify that? I just don't want like I don't want a bunch of like nineteen year old college kids like laughing and like peeing on me or something when I'm dead you know like I just and videotaping <laughs> I it. think that's universal sentiment like I just think that that's just like shitty even though I won't feel it but but I don't I don't think I would have a problem with the body farm thing either honestly Rudy like as long as it was like tastefully done yeah as long as Carmen San Diego isn't peeing on me <laughs> then okay um, and I do think also historically they have used bodies of prisoners, unidentified bodies. Yeah. They've chosen that for people, as we know from like the bodies exhibit and history, you know, like it's right. just, I think to have a say in it and to sign yourself up for it is actually really respectable and is how they should be getting these bodies. Absolutely. The more people that actually legit sign up for it, the fewer bodies they'll have to mistreat yeah yeah but as far as your what to say about after cancer it's the age-old question you know i know when um was it the cancer pod that went over the term survivor that made me actually really like the term cancer survivor which is so problematic for so many reasons because it has that yeah i'm a cancer survivor which Technically, the second you're diagnosed with cancer, survive, with cancer, with cancer <laughs> yeah. you're considered a survivor. I know a lot of people think they have to wait until like they ring a bell and then they become one. And if you're metastatic, you're only a thriver. You're not a survivor. I don't know. There was something about how the person who coined it had had cancer, but was in the medical community and coined it. It was just like really actually beautiful because it sort of was it a way of seeing actually every little bit of how hard it actually is to be doing it and to still be surviving and going through it. And, but it wasn't something that had like an end, but I think that that's already been so co-opted by the cancer world in such a way that like, that's not what we're looking for here. 
you know? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I feel like we could reclaim it in the same way that we've reclaimed queer and stuff, you know? I don't want to gatekeep anyone who wants to use that term for any reason anyway, though. No, I totally, I remember now what you're talking about. And I agree. I think that it really does kind of speak to what Rudy was talking about with how hard it is, whether you're in active treatment or you're not in active treatment anymore, you still live with like the sort of Damocles over your head waiting for the day when you could possibly recur. Mm -hmm. And so I obviously I get how the term survivor is fraught and I find it very annoying when it's like all tutus and like Mm -hmm. muscle poses or whatever. But I think that when you look at it in terms of the other ways that the word survivor is used, like when you say somebody is a domestic violence survivor or a child abuse survivor, like I think that if we reframe it to see how those terms can be not really empowering, but more like respectful of what somebody Mm -hmm. has gone through. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're, you're done dealing with it. It, it means mm-hmm. that you've been through it. And you have a very specific perspective. Yes. That only those who have that experience and that label Absolutely. could share, you know? Yeah. And it's something that you would always defer to the person about how to label them. Like, I would True. never just automatically call somebody a domestic violence survivor, even if I know that they had been through a rough situation at home. Mm-hmm. But if they are calling themselves a survivor, then... Obviously, that's something that I would want to embrace for them, too. Yeah. I will say, I think that we're missing the perfect term, though. Oh, for sure. Like, I don't think that's the perfect term, but I think that that is, there's more to be said about survivor, for sure. But, like, after cancer is the problematic term for Rudy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people do say NED, but that is a very cancer community specific thing like the general population I think is like any what you know totally but I was just actually talking to a friend of mine who just quote unquote finished she had surgery it doesn't seem like she has to have chemo and now she needs to sort of put that out there but she was like I don't want to say that like I'm cured yeah and I don't want to make it seem you know And so I was like, maybe you can just say that, like, you have finished active treatment and it's looking like they got everything out as far as they know and that you are going to be doing X, Y, and Z, you know, about her other stuff she wanted to talk about. But, you know, the whole, like, active treatment, I don't know, it's so hard because then there's, like, maintenance treatment or there's adjuvant treatment it is just it is so confusing it is and I think that there's no way to convey that you might have long-term disabilities or things you know um even if the person wouldn't necessarily call it a disability there there are definitely like functional problems that many 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 people have I would even go so far as to say most people have after going through any kind of chemotherapy or yeah treatment for cancer and you know, we don't talk about it a lot because it sucks to think about, but the risk of developing a secondary cancer because of your initial cancer treatment 
mm-hmm. is still there. And yeah. so I don't know. I agree that survivor isn't it because it's too fraught, but we do need a word that kind of encompasses the whole schmear mm-hmm. because you're never really done with it, even if you're quote unquote officially done with it. Yeah. And also that risk for developing a second cancer is only with some specific types of treatment. So everyone yeah. listening, if you've never heard that, don't spaz out. Because yeah. with some chemos, like the risk of that is like so tiny. But with others, it's a gamble. It sucks. Um, we do have a few other letters that I wanted to run through before we get into rats. But Rudy, you're awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, body farm yourself out. <laughs> but I hope it is not for such a long time. And yeah, do check out thatcancerlife.com. Rudy's the one that wants us to be a part of his rock opera that he's writing, which is so awesome. I think we're going to participate in some weird way. I um, signed us up when he asked without checking with Steph. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, but I'm down. I love Rudy. I'm, I'm excited for it. Okay. Okay. So let me see what else I've got here. Okay. Hello, Amy and Steph. Hope you are doing all right. I reached out on Instagram to see if you had an episode on survivor's guilt. This is a very new topic and feeling for me. My name is Carla and I am from Guatemala. I was diagnosed in 2020 with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. Due to COVID and poor health system in my country, I did all the first round of treatment before relapse with my private oncologist. There, I met this beautiful woman who was diagnosed with stage two Hodgkin lymphoma just a few months before me. We were both bonded over our kids, the harsh reality of chemo and how to beat this monster. Because I was stage four, in addition to chemo, I also did radiation, but she didn't. By the end of 2020, we were both out of treatment and cancer free. Um, Don't say cancer free. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, In January, she found out her cancer was back and that she needed a transplant. She traveled to Spain to get one. I found out I relapsed in March and that I also needed a stem cell transplant. We both met in Spain. That's so crazy. Oh, wow. And talked about being so far away from home in a completely different country, far away from our kids for months. Thankfully, her transplant process went really great. And by the end of May, she was back in Guatemala. My transplant process wasn't that easy. I needed several changes of chemo and eventually immunotherapies to get to remission before my transplant, which I finally got in October 2021. She had her three-month scans August and she was cancer-free. I had my three-month post-transplant in February and I was still cancer-free. She just had her nine months post-transplant scans and her cancer is back. Mm. I can't help to feel so guilty that I, for now, am able to move on with my life and she has to fight this monster again. I hate the fact that I can learn from her relapse and ask my doctors for some kind of maintenance treatment to avoid the same situation. I can't help but cry in fear of that happening. I can't help but feel that something is wrong and that my cancer is back. I hope you have some wise words to share from Carla Montenegro. Oh, Carla, what a special relationship, though. Seriously. That's so hard. God, you know, though, like, I totally get what Carla is saying. That survivor guilt is 
miserable and intense. But what I would like to say to Carla is that it's always a trade-off with our cancer friends. You know, nobody is ever always winning. (laughs) Right. And we give so much to each other, regardless of our situation. I think just the value of another perspective of somebody who's been through what you're going through, whether or not they're currently like up, you know, or, or down. Yeah. Um, just the, the fact that you have a friend who is there for you, who understands like the weird ass language that you share. I think it's so important. I don't want to diminish the survivor guilt that you feel, but, um, I do want to point out that, you know, I'm sure she treasures the relationship and the friendship and what, what Carla has given to her too, you know? Yeah. And if anything, Carla, you know, the rug gets pulled out from under you with cancer along the way in ways you cannot anticipate. And I think that that is one of the main things about cancer that non-cancer people don't get. And we all get it. Yeah. And like, maybe for her, you are this thing of like, well, she's doing well now too. And I'm getting this other treatment and then soon I'll be back being good again you know and she knows that you understand the rug thing in a way that her other friends don't and mm-hmm. i don't know it's it is like we've we talked about this earlier in the episode you know with even the scarfs you know yeah and stuff of just like everyone's situation is different and hopefully your friend is going to be on the other side of this again you know Hodgkin's lymphoma is just uh, it's such a rough run Totally. And I think that what, you know, what we have to remember, I remind myself of this all the time, that I'm never sad, you know, for, I'm I'm really never sad for myself when I see somebody else doing well. It doesn't really translate that way for me. I know that I don't either. I know that it does in some very specific ways. Like I'm thinking about friends, cancer friends who have shared about how hard it is for them to see pregnancy announcements and things like yeah. that which I think is a kind of different thing, but I don't ever feel like, oh, fuck, you know, when I see somebody's treatment really working out, I do think, like you said, hey, like, that's great that maybe that's a new option for me or it's a new option for somebody else who I'm worrying about or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, like the the cheesy scarf thing, like the patterns are different, but there are beautiful parts, there are ugly parts. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've all got our cheesy scarf (laughs) yeah yeah I think that at least in the community that we're creating with cancer for breakfast and the people we correspond with and I hope the tone of the podcast is like celebrating every win for anyone you know yes I don't want anyone ever 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 to feel bad about positive things happening to them or people that have things not going well to feel bad when positive things are happening. Like, I just want, like, if it's bad, we gotcha. Yeah. If it's good, we're cheering for you. Like, absolutely. Somebody shared with us. Um, it was just like the simplest, best 
message on Instagram that we got and I shared it in our stories. Somebody just sent us a message that said, NED bitches. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like no context necessary. That is the message we want to see. But, you know, like also I think about in our Facebook group when somebody is really going through the shit, there is always just this huge thread of people. I imagine it like this is really weird. But you guys are used to my weird analogies now. Um, I always imagine like this big sunken living room situation where there's just like pillows everywhere and the the aggrieved person is just in the middle and we're all just like bringing them like tea and (laughs) plates of cookies and like petting their hair while they just cry and tell us all of their problems. And Mm -hmm. that's really what happens. Like people show up. You don't um, ever, I, I don't think feel like oh I'm such a bummer like I can't talk about this that's a a really beautiful thing that I love about our community that we've made is that people seem to be really open with their disappointments as well as their successes yeah and I also don't see a ton of that toxic positivity in our group too like I feel like when people are down like there's realistic positivity or there's positivity spoken from experience from people that have that but that's also something that I feel like she could offer or does I'm sure offer to her friend is you know a reality-based experience yeah Carla's got the experience that sometimes it works out Mm -hmm. and I hope it does for your friend it's it's a long ass journey journey (laughs) okay so i might just have that be letters then great letters guys thank you friends um i love it when people just write what is on their mind to us and cancer for breakfast at gmail.com keep them coming yes please i think it's just you know we've all got the individual thoughts being invoked it's true we do all right check please (laughs) we better start rats because i'm fading oh i got you So our friend Maggie Beam, um, who is a delight and a treasure, posted in our group about a cool thing that I wanted to research more um, because it is available over the counter. And, you know, I am skeptical of over the counter supplements, et cetera. And I'm not. I know. I love that about you. Um, I wish I was as trusting sometimes. But this is why I do rats, because I can research Mm -hmm. it and then become trusting. I am not trusting of all supplements. Trust. Trust. And I have thoughts on this one that I can't wait to talk about. I'm so glad you're doing this, Rats, because I was so intrigued when she posted about this and I also researched it a little bit. Go on. It's fascinating. It's called MitoQ. So similar to CoQ10, which people have heard about for ages and ages, CoQ10 um, requires actually a huge dose versus this MitoQ. Um, 
which is very, very bioavailable. Mito-Q is a mitochondria-targeted antioxidant. So, you know, antioxidants were kind of like the buzzword of the 90s. Mm -hmm. What happens with cancer is that it creates a hostile metabolic environment that happens right next to a friendly metabolic environment. And mitochondria act as sort of like traffic lights, Um, like if you envision like a crosswalk signal that allow hostile metabolic environments. Could you do this with Easter eggs? (laughs) No. If you imagine two dreidels. (laughs) So anyway, like if you uh, imagine the crosswalk signal, the mitochondria allow the hostile to invade the friendly. And MitoQ tries to change the sign to do not cross. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I apologize for that. But sometimes I need to... I'm going to let it pass. I need to do these analogies so I understand it. Yeah. No, I like analogies. I think it's good. Go on. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So anyway, basically we want the cancer not to be able to invade the friendly environment because that's what creates an invasive cancer situation. We all have cancer cells in our bodies, but what we want is for them to stay kind of contained. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what they're saying MitoQ might be able to do. So I looked up several studies and um, unfortunately, it's not effective for all kinds of cancer. So um, in the journal MDPI, uh, this article by Tanya Capelon et al. from March 2022 says that a phase one clinical safety trial was passed for MitoQ. And basically what they want to do with this drug for aggressive triple negative breast cancer and HER2 positive is they want to stop, she says, the cascade of metastasis. So kind of similar, you want to keep it contained rather than allowing the mitochondria to just keep pushing that walk sign and letting it go from the primary tumor to the lymph nodes to a distant site, they want to kind of cut it off at the pass. And basically in the breast cancer cell lines, the MitoQ inhibited all metastases tested in vitro for the aggressive types of breast cancer that they tested it against. In another study that was led by Christelle Legall in 2021, it showed that it was not effective for malignant melanoma and lung cancer. So use of the MitoQ just showed no change at all. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's interesting that it is effective for, you know, some cancers, but not others. They are using it for other things, though. It's been used safely in a phase two trial for Parkinson's and for liver disease. Mm-hmm. So um, I am interested in learning more about this. It seems like it's mm-hmm. a very, very new area of study and using it for cancer because this MTPI article came out just this month, March of 2022. Mm -hmm. I would love to see the phase two trial now that they've deemed it safe. Unfortunately, one downside of it is because it targets mitochondria. It may damage kidney mitochondria because there are so many mitochondria in kidneys proximal tubes um basically anything that does a lot of moving the mitochondria help it move along Mm -hmm. and so it can really decrease your kidney function Hmm. so 
as always, we are not telling anybody to try this without talking to their oncology team or your doctors, you know, if you don't have an oncology team. But it's encouraging that it's actually a drug that's been used in trials and has seen some positive results. Yeah. So can I say something? Please do. So, yeah, this is already a supplement that you can just buy, Mm -hmm. right, that's used for other things. And, of course, I read about this and I'm like, I better hurry up and order that shit. (laughs) Amazon, subscribe and save. (laughs) Subscribe? Yeah, I need need to inject it in my veins. Is that going to work? I don't know. (laughs) Um, But, of course, I'm not an idiot. And I was reading how it's being used and the dose in the studies. And like, I think the one breast cancer study I was looking at it, the dose was higher, like, you know, so I would, I would get it. And instead of injecting it, I might take a double dose or something of what it recommends. But then I think in the study, it was like in conjunction with chemo or like for three weeks you take the pill and then the chemo and then the you know like whatever the double dose and I was like the reason you have to have to have to not just buy this shit and take it and you have to wait for these studies even when you know we're all just so desperate to like have the hot tip or to like have the secret info it's like I'm imagining maybe this shit works. This is an example of why you don't do this shit. Like, this is not how it actually works. I don't know, obviously. But like, when you're fucking with mitochondria, you're fucking with like how cells work and it's cancer. Like, perhaps what it's actually doing is activating the cancer cell so it isn't dormant. So it wakes it up so that it's easier for the chemo to kill it. Because we all know that chemo kills like the fastest growing things in your body is what chemo has an easier time killing right so um sometimes like the higher grade tumors are easier for chemo to find and get than like the slower grade ones that so i'm just thinking like you really really have to research it's sort of like if if you're gonna accuse your husband is cheating on you you better be fucking sure he is because like <laughs> the damage that that can do yeah is like real big you know like yeah. if you are gonna take shit that is gonna fuck with your cells and you do have dormant cancer cells in your body you better be sure yeah that it's good for them um there's another supplement that i have like had my eye on just waiting waiting for someone to say okay you you actually can but it's this thing called nad plus which also does stuff to your mitochondria and they're like the jury's out on the effects of cancer necessarily but there is some evidence that it could be good for cancer and it's very very good for anti-aging and it's just very good for cell turnover and cell health in general and my father-in-law's been taking it for years he swears by it my naturopath says I can take it if I want to. And then yeah. another naturopath I know said, maybe don't, you don't really want to fuck with mitochondria unless you're sure. And like, <laughs> but I'm like looking at it. Cause I'm like, this sounds great to me. Can someone just like, give me that for sure. Because like, I just can't afford to like find a hair tie on the floor. I don't recognize and accuse my husband of cheating. on me. <laughs> It's like, it's true. It's true. And- you just can't. 
There's a lot of research about antioxidants and breast cancer or and other cancers in general because when there is that high turnover of cells, sometimes it's great. And when it's cancer cells, mm-hmm. obviously it's very bad. We don't want to help cancer cells proliferate. So, um, yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, we just have to fucking exercise. <laughs> Damn it. And take the medication that's been proven to help. Fuck. Yeah. It's it's really interesting, though. And I think that, um, you know, just go, going back to the webinar that I attended with Dr. Metzger, something mm-hmm. neat that he mentioned that kind of relates to this is that the way that they're doing clinical trials now has changed a little bit where mm-hmm. they're starting with very, very, very specific small populations and mm-hmm. kind of broadening it. Um, whereas a long time ago, they used to kind of do it the opposite way because... Now they know so much more about specificity of of cells and stuff that when they know that it has a practical use for these people, then they think maybe it'll have a practical use for this larger group. And then maybe it'll have a practical use for this even larger group. So, you know, I guess as metastatic people, we get to be in these clinical trials where there's some pretty fascinating stuff being tested. And then unfortunately, People like you who are, you know, out of active treatment may be on the longer wait list for mm-hmm. the sure thing. Um, and that's hard. It's hard to watch people in the community really be chomping at the bit to get this mm-hmm. little seatbelt of safety <laughs> that they want <laughs> so badly. Safety. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's cool. What whatever they find out, I mean, I clearly have a preference, but it's it's cool that they're studying such a thing and that they're seem to be thinking and it's somewhat promising, eh? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if it's not this, it's something else. There's yeah, there's everything. Everything there's is everything happening. All right. Well, this is interesting. We are using a different way of recording. So if it's weird, that's why mm-hmm. this is kind of an experiment. If it sounds normal, whatever, just ignore me. We might have some sort of video component. We might. Maybe it'll just be a clip, but we're, I don't know. We're using a program that can do video. Maybe we'll have a YouTube channel. I don't know. Who cares? We don't care. We don't know. We don't we didn't know. Go to podcasting school. Who do you think you're talking to? We don't you're know. You're cheating on me. <laughs> is this your hair tie? Whose hair tie is this? <laughs> I didn't I didn't really find a hair tie, you guys. Don't worry. Um, okay. So thanks for listening. Thank you, friends. Um goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. Thanks 
so much for listening. Thanks for listening.